You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. And we're um, we're going to have communion today. Uh, you can see this. So, I mean, even if you're not a member here, you're welcome at this table. Um, what I'm talking about, I'm starting a series on uh, the new covenant, um, and this is the um, the picture of the example of um, the best way to personify um, the new covenant is that Jesus is inviting us to a table. It's a big table. And uh, he wants a lot of people there. It's like a Cajun fish fry. Okay, that's what he's after. The more the merrier. There's enough for everybody. Um, if you're here today and, uh, um, and you know Jesus, um, this, is, this table is set for you. Um, if you don't know Jesus, I hope that you will be drawn closer to him today and closer to this table. Because uh, he wants us all to fully participate in this. So, um, so as I said, I'm uh, starting a new series. Oh, I don't have... Background, that's right. I'm starting a new series uh, today on the New Covenant. Um, and as has been happening for me this, this past year, um, a lot of the stuff that God is speaking to me um, is coming out and I'm learning and I'm being reminded of in the reading through the Bible in a year. Um, so I'm in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, just got done with the book of uh, Isaiah. Um, and I've read all of these scriptures before. I've read through the Bible before three or four times. Um, it's not my normal way to, um, to do Bible study, but every now and then I do go back to that um, just because it's really good to get an overview, like a, a broad overview of all of the scriptures um, that are there. And even for me, I still um, read passages of scripture and have to go back and look it up and say, what does that actually say? Because it doesn't seem familiar, and it doesn't seem like something that I have, um, have seen before. Uh, but this past week, especially uh, in the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 31, it's just like a shining jewel in the book of Jeremiah and in the, um, in the prophets. Um, because so much of, the, of what is written in the prophets is really hard stuff. Um, I mean, it's just, you know... You can see what's coming and you can see what's happening and you cannot say that it's not fair, but it should break your heart. Jeremiah, um, I can't quote the scripture without it choking me up, but Jeremiah at one time prays, oh God, that my eyes were a river of tears that I might weep for the slain of my people. And when you hear God's judgment coming and he's and it's there's still it's that's not the end of the story, but it's a it's a it's a part of the story that's necessary. Um, you can just tell that Jeremiah, even as he's prophesying these things, is heartbroken over them. Um, but anyway, so I got to Jeremiah chapter thirty one, verse three. Have I got a PowerPoint? Can you give me the next slide? Or is that a slide? I don't know. Is that a slide? No, nope, not that one. Oh, okay. 
Anyway, the, the key scripture is from that really, really affected me uh, this week is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I'm always tempted to apologize when I choke up like that, but I'm not going to apologize. I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to make it look like there's anything wrong with that. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Um, it says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. Him being, uh, being Israel or the nation of Israel. It said, The Lord appeared to him from far away. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And I just, I just hope that you can hear the heart of God in that because uh, that's how He feels about you. That's how He feels about us. That's how He feels about all of us. And all He's saying there is, is that His love, really His love is an everlasting love. It has no beginning. It's just His nature. It's just who He is. From the very beginning, His intention for you and for all mankind was good, was kind, uh, was uh, like a father to a child or a mother to a child. And he's, and he's just telling them, you know, even though you're going through some hard things and you're fixing to go through some really hard things, I want you to know that there is one thing that is absolutely true and that's that, that is that um, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Later in, in uh, that same chapter of uh, 31 of the book of Jeremiah, beginning in verse 31, he talks to him about um, what's coming uh, and, and what God's intention has always been. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. And though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. When the least of them to the greatest of them says to the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's the direct result of God saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And though they have been through some really bad times, and they had some really bad times to go through, the fact of God's love is the fact of existence. That is the most important thing. If you read through the Bible as, it's, as it is put together, there's a, there's somebody, some people have been telling me about this new way of reading through it that's chronological. Has anybody read through the Bible chronologically? I know several people have told me that they're doing that this year. So that'll put a book in the same context as another book. But if you read it the way that it is, then you've got... Um, judges and then you've got Samuel first and second Samuel and then you got first and second Kings and then you got Chronicles right is this the way that it works everybody am I missing something and some of those the, the thing that may be confusing to you and what I've been doing as reading through it um, in 
uh, every day this year, is that it goes back and it repeats some things. It like tells a story, and then it goes back and tells that story again, and then it goes back and tells that story again, and then it goes back and tells it from a different perspective. So it'll be like a historical book. It's just like this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And then it'll be um, like the prophets will come, and they're speaking God. It's like God's perspective on the things that are happening. And if you're reading through the the history of Israel you know that Israel didn't go into captivity just one time they went into captivity over and over and over and over and over again but that last one that 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 70 year one when they spent in Babylon that broke something in them that's when they established um, that's when they came back into the land and they built this rinky dink little temple compared to what they had and they wept when they looked at that temple because they said they remembered what the other temple was like and what, how it had been described to them. And this one was much smaller and much more sort of utilitarian. Um, they read the word to them. They brought the, the word. You remember in the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, they brought the, the word to them, the, 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 um, the scriptures to them, and they all the whole nation stood up and listen from dawn till dusk and listen to the reading of the Scriptures. And you know what they did after they heard the reading of the Scriptures? They mourned. They wept. They tore their clothes because they had, not, they had forgotten all of this stuff. No wonder God was upset with them. No wonder they had, they had fallen out of favor with God. No wonder they got this God who said He would protect them actually handed them over to their enemies. No wonder. Because they were doing all kinds of things that God had specifically said, don't do this when you come into the land. And something broke in them. That's when they established the synagogues. And that's, what, that's how they worship today. They call it temple, but it's actually a synagogue. And that's for the study of the Word. So that that would not happen anymore. Something did change in them. They came back into the land, but it wasn't their land anymore. And it never has been their land until modern times it's it's always been they've always been strangers in a strange land in their own land that god promised to them if you read through the bible as it's compiled you read about the same events from different perspectives um and when you get to the book of when you get to the prophets you you understand what god thinks about it when it says that um uh you know so and so was a was a king and he did what was evil in the sight of the lord the prophets are going to go in and tell you exactly what they were doing and how they were, and how they were offending God over and over again and how they were bringing dishonor to His name. In the midst of this devastation is when you come to Jeremiah and he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. The history of the relationship between God and man is a very troubled one. You know? I mean, God created man, set him in the garden, had fellowship with him, and we don't know how long that went on. That may have gone on for thousands of years. We don't know. However long it was, it was way too short. Because man turned his back on God, and God never turned his back on man. God removed man from the Garden of Eden because he said it would be terrible for him to live forever in the condition that he was in. And that's the reason why he took him out of the Garden of Eden. It was for his own good. It's for our own good. And even today, there's people that can't, you know, they, you know, they want to live forever, but they can't even figure out what to do with themselves on a rainy afternoon, you know? It's like, what are you going to do with 100 years? What are you going to do with 1,000 years? Can you imagine how many broken relationships? If you lived 1,000 years, how many heartbreaks, how, many, how much trouble you would get into, how, how, how uh, the snares that would be uh, in your way could eventually catch you. Do you can you understand why it's, it's a blessing for God to have limited our lives? 
and not to give us eternal lives in that condition. But He wasn't done with us. He wasn't done with us. He, 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 took, he, took, he, he took him out of the garden and, 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 um, and, and he made you know, life harder for them, but he never forgot about them. Um, we did a, I think it was a uh, youth group uh, exercise uh, when we went on retreat one time. Have you ever done this where you like tie your wrist to somebody else's wrist? And then you have to go, you know, go through doing stuff like eating or, you know, or whatever, you know, just like you have somebody tied. Has anybody ever done that exercise? Nobody's ever done. You guys are just not like, y'all need to get out more. Um, so uh, it, the way that it works is, is that you just tie your wrist to somebody else's wrist. It's a very simple exercise. And then we always did that before we went to eat. So then you're eating. If you're left-handed and your left wrist is, is in, in, uh, impaired, then you're going to have to figure out a way to eat and coordinate with this other person. I think it's a beautiful example of marriage. I think it's a great exercise for marriage. Because like in, theoretically, you're just like, oh yeah, I can figure out how to do this. You know, and we can just adjust to one another. And you can a little bit for a while. And it's kind of funny, you know, when you're first like, oh, you, you know, you need to eat, I need to eat, you need to take a drink, I need to take a drink. And we're, we're working all this stuff out. Try that for a year. And you find out how it piles up on you. These little offenses pile up on you. And you're not just thinking about coordinating. You're thinking about this other person's attitude. Is this other person really giving as much as I'm giving? And are they laying down their life as much as I'm laying down their life, my, my life? And this is what it's like for God to be in relationship with mankind. He's tied to mankind. And there's little offenses and there's, you know, not doing it this way and not doing it that way. And then there is the attitude of I want my way. I want my way. And I don't want to give. And, I, and my, whole, my, my whole point is to try to get you to do what I want you to do. And never me to do what you want me to do. And that's what, that's what marriage is like. That's what covenant is like. Covenant is not just an agreement between two people or a contract between two people. Covenant is the joining of lives under certain conditions. Covenant is promising yourself to a person. And it is like marriage. And I can talk with some experience about marriage because I've been married for uh, 40 years this past December. Um, but I also am right, the first person to tell you right now, I have not got it figured out. Have not got it figured out. And don't think I will this side of the grave, unfortunately. You know, she, Becky is a little disappointed that we won't be married in heaven, right? We have this conversation. Because she said to put up with me this whole time, and now I go to heaven, and now i got all my kinks worked out, and she's not married to me anymore, you know? It's like... <laughs> that's not the reason why. No, I'm putting words in her mouth. <laughs> but something like that. She really, re, we really love each other and want to spend eternity together. And, and we will. And what I tell her is that whatever we have here is going to be so much better in heaven. When you remove the hindrances that we're functioning under here and we're able to see clearly and know clearly and love perfectly, we won't love each other less. We won't have less of a relationship. We'll have more of a relationship when we're there. Marriage is hard. Covenant is hard. 
Covenant is intentionally limiting yourself and, 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 um, and promising yourself to somebody that a lot of times crosses your own will. It crosses the things that you would want to do, whether it's being able to get a salad at the salad bar, or whether it's to be able to buy a car, or whether it's to be able to, you know, do the things you want to do. You, you're, you're certainly accountable to somebody else. In theory, it's not too difficult, but you have to constantly make these adjustments, and sometimes they're very big adjustments. You, you constantly have to think about how your actions affect the other person. It's a pretty good picture of marriage. It's also a good picture of family. It's also a good picture a lot of times of working relationships. Anything that we are in a relationship with somebody and we're accountable to that person and we have to think about how my actions affect that person. Now, when we're talking about man's relationship with God, we all know that man is basically a worshiper, right? You may be worshiping yourself, you may be worshiping an idol, you may be worshiping, you know, money, you may be worshiping all, but you will worship. You will worship, you will be a worshiper. So that seems that that would kind of set us up for a perfect relationship with God because we want to worship and he wants to be worshiped and he wants to be in a relationship with us. But the problem is, is that we're also willful and we're also self-centered and we're also trying to get what we want out of it. It's no longer how can we accomplish this together. It's how can I get, what, get you to do what I want you to do. Just as a kind of aside, um, this is me being an old curmudgeon, but I think things have changed a lot over the last few years. And especially I think that things have changed sometimes in the body of Christ and the way that things are done in the body of Christ. I find that people are a whole lot, lot less willing to give, not money, I'm not talking about money, money can be part of that, but to, like, to put up with. You, do you know what I'm talking about? People are a whole lot less likely to put up with stuff in church. It's like our relationships are so just regarded as being, you know, as long as I'm getting what I want out of it, then it's awesome. But when I'm asked to give, when I'm asked to do things in a way that I don't particularly like to do, then people are just like, oh, well, you know, that's that, you can't tell me you know, what to do. And it just seems like it's getting worse like that. I think we're catching this from the culture that Connie was talking about, the secularization of our culture. But I think it's a natural thing for mankind to be selfish. And I think that kind of stuff invades all of our relationships, even our relationships in the church. That when God says, I want you to give here, I want you to do it my way, I want you to be, you know, at my disposal, that we're just like, you know what, I got other things to do. This is costing me too much, or this is inconvenient, or, you know. And I, I just think that that's kind of the basis of covenant relationship. Covenant relationship is being able to stick with it even when you don't think you're do getting your way and still be committed to it 100%. People feel that tug on their wrists and they're not willing to put up with it. Man left to his natural state would ignore God if he could. Or if he can't ignore Him, he would use Him. That's what he would do. And a lot of the things that people are looking for in religion today are selfish and self-centered. Trying to get God to do what you want Him to do instead of falling at His feet and saying, what do you want me to do? How, how, can, how can I serve you? 
And I think the difference is we, can hear, we hear a lot about how much God loves us, but how much do we think about how much we love God? Is my lo- when Jesus described our relationship with the Father, it was just like His relationship with the Father. There's not any other way to have a relationship with the Father except as His child and, as, and to serve Him. You can't have it on your own terms. We have a tendency to seek His hand and not seek His heart. We have a tendency to draw near, the Bible says, with our lips, but keep our hearts far from Him. We want a checklist of things that He wants us to do, and we want to check our, off the list, and then that will justify us. And then we're saying, okay, then that means that you have to do what I want you to do. But that's not the kind of relationship we have with God. He's God. He will always be God. And we're not. And He's right. And He will always be right. And we may be right sometimes. We're really inconsistent with it. But we're not always right. We have to be able to be corrected. We have to be adjusted. These things have to happen. I'm getting to the covenant thing here in a minute. But God, from the beginning, you remember that what happened after the fall? What was the first thing that happened after the fall? And I'm talking not, not just what, what people did, but what did God do? He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day and he says, Adam, where are you? He's seeking. He's seeking. He knew what had happened. He knew what Adam had done. And instead of just like ghosting him and not like what I remember God used to be here. Oh yeah, he hadn't been around for a while. Instead of that, God comes and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, he's, you know, he's hiding. And God's like, well, what are you hiding for? We've never done this before. What are you hiding for? And Adam didn't say, I have sinned. He said, I'm naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? I don't know that anybody told him he was naked. I think he just knew that he was naked. He knew that he was exposed. He knew that he was wrong. He knew that he could not bear the penetrating gaze of God upon him in love, but he couldn't bear it. And so he hid himself from God. First thing God did was seek him out. There's, um, we still got this? Yeah. Oh, here we go. That's Jeremiah 31.3. Uh, give me the next slide if you can advance it. There we go. So there's five covenants that God made um, with, um, with mankind, with, with people. Um, and all of these, these are not like separate covenants that are unrelated. They are all connected. So when you read the Old Testament, the reason why you're reading the Old Testament is because there's shadows of what God is and what man is and what God wants His relationship with mankind to be. And there's also a, a great record and a great history. Number one, that God has revealed Himself from the beginning. You read through the Old Testament and you will see prophecies that have come true. Thousands of years, hundreds of years later, you will see God, God consistent from the beginning all the way through to the end. And you will see the fallenness of mankind and you will see what our real condition really is. That's why people don't like to read the Bible because it's not a happy story all the time. It's not that it's not true. It's just hard to, hard to look at. It's hard to look in that mirror and see, you know, I'm not quite as cute as I thought I was. So God has five covenants with man and the first is with noah 
I mean, that's Genesis chapter 9. And what was the promise? What was the covenant that God made um, with Noah? What did he say? Say, say it again, Why? Right. And he put a, put a rainbow in the sky. So when you look at the rainbow, do you ever like remember that? That that's, that's like there's something in the Bible that tells us what that means. It's not just a natural phenomenon. It is that. But it's also a natural ph- phenomenon that is meant to remind us of something. And, and what is that reminder? God says, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to just wholesale destroy mankind except for a few remnants. What if he hadn't promised that? Because there have been times over and 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 over again in the history of mankind that we deserved it richly, as much as they did back then. This was the downward spiral that happened from the time that Adam and Eve fell, that the rest of all of mankind was fallen and perverse, and God said there's nothing good about them at all. Every good quality had been eroded away. And God looked at them and He said, Okay, Noah, build an ark. I'm going to drown this and start from scratch. And after he did that, he said, I'm never going to do that again. He, what, he was not saying sin is okay. He says, I have a better way of dealing with it. That's what, the, that's what this promise is. God says, I have a better way of dealing with it. And it's not going to be wholesale. And it's not going to be killing everybody that deserves to be killed. But I have a a better way. He didn't reveal to him what it was at that time. But that was the first covenant that he made. And this is a this is what's called a um, it's a unilateral covenant. God is making all the promise. He's not requiring any promise out of mankind or out of Noah or anybody else. Okay, that's the first the first covenant. The next covenant is when God finds a man um, named Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 12. And what does he promise him? What is, what is the promise that God makes? Again, this is, a, this is sort of a one-sided covenant. Abraham had to leave his country. Abraham had to go to, the, to where God told him to go. There were some conditions to it. But Abraham was fully willing to do that, that stuff. And God promised something to, to Abraham, didn't he? What did he promise to Abraham? What was that covenant that he made with Abraham? Say it. Multiplication is going to make a great nation out of him. Okay, that's part of it. He's going to make a great nation out of him. And the second part of it is that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed. You see how this covenant also is a covenant of, of Jesus. It's a covenant of Messiah. It's not just a promise between God that he's going to make Abraham a great nation. It's a promise of, from God that he is going to redeem the world through Abraham. And if you want a little insight into the way that God does things, He made it impossible. He made it way past impossible. Like, it's laughable to even think about the, the, um, the fulfillment of that covenant. Because Abraham was 80-something when he was called. How old was he when um, Isaac was finally born? 120? Nine, uh, he, was clo- he, was, he was close to way past childbearing or child, you know, child-having age, right? And even when he told them, he told them at the end of this time, Abraham came to God and he said, God, you promised me that I'm going to be a great nation and the only, uh, the only person I have is a servant in my house. And God said, you will be a great nation. And he took him outside. I was just in Africa a few, few weeks ago and uh, one of the best things about third world countries 
is the night sky. Because there's no light pollution. There's, there's, it, there's nothing but the expanse of heaven. And that's what God took Abraham out and He showed him all of the stars in the sky. And He's sweeping His hand across the sky and He's saying, you see all of these stars and then He comes to him. And He said, just so shall your children be. And God wasn't just talking about creating physical life and, and, and people. He was talking about redemption. He was talking about a seed, not just seeds, but a seed that would come through Abraham. And Abraham didn't understand these things. We only understand a lot of things through, through hindsight. I'm sorry, but that's the way that it is. Abraham didn't understand all of these things. But God was true to his promise, wasn't he? Because, because Abraham went his own way and had um, Ishmael. And God said, I'm going to bless him too. He's going to be a great nation too. I told you that you're going to be a great nation. And so that one's a great nation, this one's a great nation, still striving together today. But God is true. He's faithful to His Word. The covenant with Abraham. That's a one-sided covenant. That, that also is a one. There's a little bit of conditions involved in that, but it's mostly um, God is the one that's doing the impossible part of it. Then the next covenant is with Moses. And so Moses is a descendant of um, Abraham. This, this whole nation came out of Abraham. Um, they went into um, uh, Egypt um, to survive and ended up getting into bondage there. And that was never God's intention for them to live there. He just wanted them to be there for a while. Again, so he could show himself mighty on their behalf. Are you willing to do that? I'm just asking you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to suffer? And are you willing to face brick wall after brick wall after brick wall just so God can get the glory for your life instead of you? Are you willing to do that? Because that's what a relationship with God is like. There's no ordinary days. Every day is a miracle. Every day is an opportunity for God to say, you can't do it and I can do it. The, the thing that I've found about the whole thing is that it's never easy to trust. It doesn't get easier to trust. No matter what his track record is, when I get to that point and I feel that little tug on my wrist, I want my own way. I always do. But he's got a track record. He's got a track record with him. Sorry about this bothering me. This one is a different type of, uh, of covenant. This is what they call a vassal um, uh, covenant. And this is a greater to a lesser. Um, when he's describing um, this um, covenant in uh, Jeremiah, and he says, I'm going to make a new covenant, he tells them about the old covenant, and he says, um, I'm gonna make, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Now he's describing this covenant. And he said, I took them by the hand and I was a husband to them. Now that's intimate, man. There's no, there's no more intimate um, connection that two people can have than marriage. And God is describing His relationship with Israel as a marriage relationship, but He says, I'm making a new covenant that's better than that. It's better than that. It's not being joined at the wrist. But it's actually having the same heart, the same desires, the same spirit as Him. So in, in Exodus chapter... And you see... Like Noah's covenant was in Genesis chapter 9, some of the verses of Genesis chapter 9. Abraham's covenant was Genesis chapter 12. Look at Moses' covenant. 
Exodus 19 through 24, and that doesn't even begin to cover it. That's just like parts of it that, that pertain to it, but there's other books that have to do with fulfilling this covenant that God makes with Israel. And this is the covenant that they found themselves, this and, and the next one, or the covenant that they found themselves in in Jeremiah when, when God comes to him and says, you know, you're going to go into exile. You're going to go into, uh, um, into bondage. And I'm going to bring you back out again. But this is a direct result of what you have done and what you have been in this covenant with me. You were supposed to be a wife to me. And I wanted to be a husband to you. And you have not been faithful to me. Over and over God describes that. And if you've ever been through that, a broken relationship, a betrayal in a relationship, you know what I'm talking about. There's hardly anything that makes you feel more heartbroken, more alone, more enraged, more rejected than, a, than a, somebody being unfaithful to you in a relationship. And over and over again, God described His relationship with Israel that way. He called them adulterers. You can hear the heartbreak in His, in his words to them. It was a covenant as a husband and wife. This covenant and most of the promises that are in this covenant are all conditional. God says, if you will do this, I will do this. And you remember what, how Israel, like from the very beginning, like failed this. When they went into the promised land, the first, couple of, the first battle that they fought, you know, they're successful. The next one they fought, they're successful. Then they come to this place called Ai. God says, I will give you victory. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will drive the enemy out before you. And they go to Ai, and somebody steals a little idol and, and, uh, and conceals it, and they go to fight, and suddenly they're, they're counting on God being faithful. And God's like, no, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And they got beat. And that was an indication right there that this covenant is conditional. You have to live up to your part. If you don't live up to your part, then you're going to suffer the consequences of that. And God wasn't after making Ai a great nation. He was after making Israel a great nation. And He's using these little pipsqueaks to teach him a lesson. The next one is the covenant with David. And this one, like the, all of them before that. Oh, the, the, um, the covenant that He made with Moses, God knew from the very beginning that they, their hearts were not gonna, it's not going to work. But he wanted, them to, he wanted them to have the opportunity to see the greatness and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He gave them every opportunity to see that. And they lived with that for a while. God had told, uh, Moses had told them actually before they went into the promised land. He said, when you get into the promised land, you're going to look around you and you're going to see a bunch of kings. And all of these nations have kings. And you're going to come to the Lord and you're going to say, we want a king. And that's going to grieve God's heart. Because God's like, I'm your husband. I'm your, I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I'm your identity. I'm your glory. You know, and you want to put somebody on the throne. And God had told him already ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And he granted it. He relented. He, he let them do that. And he gave him Saul. And Saul was a, a very good warrior and a very... Selfish, self-centered, prideful, arrogant, human being of a king. And God rejected Saul. And then he raised up another one after him, and that was David. And God made a, made a covenant with David. Because David is always called a man, a, a, he's a man after my own what? Heart. Not hand, not sword, not, you know, mind. 
but after my own heart. God is always looking for that. Somebody that's not just drawn close near with their, with their lips, but is drawn near with their heart. Something that he looks in their heart and he says, their heart has been transformed and impacted by their relationship with me. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the central fact of your life. It is the stronghold of your life. It is your identity. And it's not your head, and it's not your hand, and it's not your bank account, and it's not your house. It's your heart. And God loved David, and he loved the way that David worshipped, and he loved the, the courage and the, and the audacity that David showed, and he loved the way that David trusted him. And I'll tell you something else that he loved. He loved the way that David repented. Because even when God could have, should have destroyed him, he found in him what he hadn't found so often is that somebody would come to him and say, oh, I, I, I am so wrong. I am so wrong. I am so sorry. And God loved that about him. And God made a covenant with David. And what was the covenant that he made with David? That he would always have somebody on the throne. That he was going to, and, and when he talked about this, he wasn't talking about a succession of kings because those guys fell away too. They were all human, flawed, you know, stiff-necked, selfish, willful. They were all the same thing. But what he was looking for was the one. The one. And that was Jesus Christ in the line of David. That's what God was promising David, is that the Messiah would come through him. The King of kings. And the Lord of lords. God made that promise to David and he fulfilled that promise and that's in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 um, verses 12 through 17 and then finally and this is all just kind of introduction to um, to my series on um, covenant I have I have been several times subjected to a series on covenant so I understand like it gets really tedious and really dry and really hard I hope that this hasn't been that to you because it's, it's basically God saying to you, I want you to understand how we're going to work together and how we're going to walk together. And the advantages, by seeing these covenants, and none of them are bad covenants, by seeing these covenants, the, the, the new covenant will be elevated in your mind and you will be so grateful to God that He has come to this with us. And why? I don't know. I don't know why God chose to do it this way. The only explanation is He loves in ways that we could never even imagine. We are such amateurs at love. What we call being in love, or what we say, I love you, what does that actually mean? When God says, I love you, there's no picture better than the cross. That's, that's what He says when He says love. He shows us the cross. He demonstrates it by Jesus Christ dying for us while we were yet sinners. What the old covenant was weak to accomplish, the new covenant and the new covenant is one of those grant covenants. It's like, are there conditions? I think maybe we debate about this all the time. Maybe it's just accepting Him. Or maybe it's just choosing Him. But some people would say, even that is a, is a work that we're doing. Okay, And I don't see it that way. I don't want to get into the theology of the whole thing. All I know is that God has done all of the heavy, heavy, heavy lifting. God has done what only He can do, but He expects us to... He's not going to force a relationship on us. I'll say it that way. He wants to know that you want this relationship. But if you do, just like... Did I call him Gabe this morning? Just like, yeah. I think that'll be my nickname for him now. Um, just like Benjamin did this morning. I mean, 
Even if you're 60 or 80 and you're standing up there being baptized and you're saying, I want to give my heart to the Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. When I got married, I said, I do. I don't know what I did. Do. I don't know what I do. I found out. I have found out, and I'm so happy that I said that. It was the best decision that I ever made beside coming to Jesus, but I didn't know what I was saying is my point. But He knows what you're saying. And He is promising Himself too. Literally promising His his flesh and blood to us to fulfill that. He does the hard part. He gives us the desire. And then He fulfills the desire of our heart. And that was always lacking in the other covenants. None of the other ones were sufficient in that. This is God unilaterally doing something for you. He didn't just want us to be conformed on the outside or complicit or just um, obedient, but He wanted us to do what He wanted. He wanted us to want to do what pleases Him and what's right and good. It's not complicity, it's transformation. He would give them the ability and the desire to follow Him. He would change their hearts and give them a a zeal for obedience. He will be their God and they will be His people. And that that phrase recurs often in uh, the prophetic books and in the Old Testament. And you can just tell, man, that's God's dream. To have a people. To have a people. To have a family. To have a nation whose God is the Lord. He's he's, He's always desiring that. That He could be their God. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your provider. He wants to be your defender. He wants to be your wisdom. He wants to be your strength. He wants to be your hope. He wants to be your God. Gives Him great joy and pleasure to do that. And He wants you to be, He wants us to be His people. It's crazy to think that somebody would have the God of the universe living in their heart and there would be no difference, no visible evidence of that. We're not earning it. We're demonstrating it. The biggest, the biggest thing, biggest aspect of the new covenant is that the sin issue is dealt with once and for all. It's been rolled back. It's been referred to. It's been, you know, It's been dealt with as like we're going to talk about that later. When you get to the new covenant, the sin issue is dealt with once and for all. So let me close with this. How do you know if you're living under the new covenant or living under an old covenant or another covenant or something that you're just kind of muddling through? How do you know if you're really living under the new covenant? First of all, are you under obligation to perform certain tasks to be right with God? Are you? Are you under obligation to perform certain tasks, otherwise you're not right with God? God's like, nope, I'm rejecting you. I'm... And sometimes we feel that way, like we're being held at a distance from God. He never rejects us. He's always there for us. Like He was saying to Israel, I've loved you with an everlasting love from before you were even born until all eternity. It's, that's my love for you. If you're living under obligation to perform certain things as if if you do this, then God will do this, that's the old covenant. That's not the new covenant. Are you with me? Does that sound like hyper grace? I don't know what it's, I don't want to put a label on it. All I'm saying is that's the heart of God. He doesn't want sin to impinge on your relationship with Him. Now listen, there is pleasure in sin for a season. The wages of sin is death. All of that stuff is true. 
He wants you to be free from it. He's not holding you at a distance and saying, you can't come close to me. He's like, I'm coming close to you. Where are you? The second one is, are you walking in this freedom? Are you walking in this freedom? Are you demonstrating that you're free? That you're not under obligation? That you're not under bondage? That you're not, you're, you're not distant from Him? Are you walking in the, in the full freedom that that means? If you are, then that's the new covenant. And I'm not talking about freedom to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm talking about freedom to do what I know is the right thing to do and what He wants me to do and that those are other things that I want to do. Or is there still this tug-of-war? Is there still this joining at the risk? I want to do it this way. He wants me to do it this way. The next one is, are you experiencing what it's truly like to be one with Him? You look at Jesus, I can tell you what the power in Jesus' life was. He said that I always do what the Father wants me to do. If you see me, you see the Father. That was the power in His life. That's where it all came from. Are you walking in that? And finally, how, how are you dealing with the sin issue? Because it is an issue, and it always will be with human beings. Are you dealing with it in the way that has been appropriated from the new covenant? Are you still under guilt, still under obligation, still under bondage to that? All right, we're going to come to the table this morning. I'm sorry that's taken so long. I promise my next sermons will be shorter than that. What are y'all laughing at? Let's prepare our hearts as we come to the table this morning. Light us up, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's invited us to a table. He hadn't invited us to an altar of sacrifice this morning. He's invited us to a feast. And it's just, it's a simple feast. But it's a spi- the spiritual reality of this is the whole world turned upside down. It's a completely different way of seeing Him and seeing ourselves. And He's invited us to this. He said, as often as you do this, remember me. So as we remember Him this morning, first of all, Put Him in the proper place in your life and in your heart. If you stumbled or fallen, maybe, maybe even on your way in today. It's really simple. He wants to resolve that. He wants to reconcile that. And He wants you to walk in newness of life. So just say, I'm sorry. Do what David did. Be good at repenting. Be good at confessing your sins. And confessing means say it along with Him. Say what He says about it. Not what you've been justifying yourself. Oh God, give us, a, give us an active conscience. Help us, Lord Jesus, not to justify things to the point that our conscience becomes seared. But this morning, Lord, let this table open up our hearts to the reality of You and Your love for us and the price that You paid to make it possible for us to do what we're about to do here. Thank you, Lord. Just confess your sin to yourself. I mean, to to the Lord in your heart right now.
And then receive the word of the Lord. God says, I forgive you. I forgive you for that. I cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. The only thing I'll remember about it is the price that I paid for it. I won't remember that you are guilty and I won't call you guilty of that. And if you think that's too easy, you just don't understand how hard he worked to make that happen. He did the heavy lifting so that you could do that. Just with a word of confession and repentance, you can be forgiven. God, I pray that you would break the power of sin in every one of our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that if any one of us are in bondage in any way, or I should say it this way, that the bondage that, that so easily besets us, Lord, that you would break that in Jesus' name right now. If we would not identify ourselves as that anymore. We would not, we would not see ourselves under any guilt or obligation to that anyway. And then the next thing is just to forgive. You have been forgiven. You extend that same forgiveness to others. God wants you to be free. Unforgiveness is binding you. It's not binding the other person. God wants you to be free. Forgive. Thank you for it. Can I have the um, elders that are going to help us serve this? On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Poured out for the remission of sins for all mankind. Whenever you do this, remember me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we remember your love for us, your eternal, everlasting love. As we eat these elements, drink these elements, Lord, we remind ourselves physically of our relationship with you, our acceptance in you. Lord, we come to this table. We come to this table, Lord Jesus. So much in need. Send us away from this table, Lord, full and refreshed. Send us away from this table, Lord Jesus. Like what you promised Abraham, that we would go forth and bless all the nations. That all the nations would be blessed. All the neighborhoods would be blessed. All the businesses would be blessed. All the family tables, all the, all the, uh, all the friends and neighbors would be blessed. As you send forth the answer to your covenant, the fulfillment of your covenant, through Jesus Christ and your people. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We come uh, from the sides. Let's stand together. You're free to, um, some people like to share the elements with others. Um, you're free after you have uh, received the elements to, um, to go. And God bless you. you just come from the sides. You're free.